So anxiety and stress, the hustle, the bustle. If you're not feeling it, just go to the mall next weekend. It starts with trying to get in the parking lot. And once you try to get there, trying to find a parking spot. And then you think you finally found one at the very back of the parking lot. You go to pull in and there's a cart in it. Huh? And then you finally get your car parked and you get in the store and there's children crying everywhere. There's no room for the carts in the aisles. There's people with bags under their eyes who are frustrated at everything because there's empty shelves. The employees are taking too long. You get in the lineup, it takes 45 minutes in self-checkout mode. People are spending way more than they have, so you just see it in their face, right? You see they can't afford this, but they're buying it because their kid has to have it. You see it. You see the anxiety and the stress. The same holly jolly Christmas song playing on the radio ten times while you're in the store because that's all they got. But the stress doesn't stop at the mall. It carries on when you get home, when you've got to put everything together, put up the decorations, and get the extra chairs out, and make the meal. And then clean up the meal. And clean up all the wrapping paper. And for the kids, the anxiety doesn't just stop at Christmas. It goes on when they get back to school. They, you know, they want to show their friends what they got. All of a sudden, their friend got something better. Or some other kid went somewhere more uh, impressive than they did. This season, you know, the pictures and the movies tell us, you know, all is calm, all is bright. You just sit with your nice warm socks by a fire, roasting chestnuts. That only happens at Leo's Tree Farm. Everywhere else, it's craziness. It's, it's madness. That's what we seem to have wrapped ourselves up in a season that goes crazy at this time. With anxiety and stress in abundance. So... You know, again this morning, we're going to take time to look at this Prince of Peace. Peace. The one who people are too busy to notice. They're too stressed to notice. They're too anxious to notice. This Prince of Peace. I invite you to turn your Bibles to John 14. John chapter 14. It's interesting because Jesus, before he was born, he was announced and anticipated as this Prince of Peace, one who would come. And so we discussed that some anticipated him to come and break world peace now and in this moment, that there would be no more wars. But Jesus himself told them what to expect. He laid down the expectations that people should have. He says, wars, you will hear of more wars and rumors of wars and things will only get worse, that, that peace in this world is not available when we are still sinners, when nations are led by sinful people, that there will not be peace on earth as we anticipate it. So here in John chapter 14, I want to read to you this section, uh, verses 15 through the end of the chapter. And here it's, it's an interesting discussion Because this is near the end of Jesus' life. Christmas, we talk about the beginning. Let's read God's word. Here it says in John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and will come to him and will make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I've spoken while uh, still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in, in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And be not afraid. You hear me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. Well, if you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I am. I have told you now, as before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer. For the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father commands me. Come now, let us leave. There's so much here in this passage. You see the tender heart and the loving kindness of Christ the Savior towards you, towards His disciples. You see it in verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. Don't worry. You're not going to be alone. You're not going to feel a loneliness. You're not going to be abandoned by me. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 19, he says, gives them more hope in, in his tender love. He says, because I live, you will live. Don't fear what might come. Don't fear death because you will live. Jesus obviously speaking here of resurrection life as well. Yes, you're going to live now with with the fullness of God in you, but more than that, don't be afraid because you will live. Verse 20, he offers them more comfort of his presence. On that day, you'll realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And then he offers further comfort in verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys him, he's the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, And I, too, will love him. And I will show myself to him. It's beautiful words of comfort and tender kindness towards his disciples. It's interesting what he's preparing them for. He's preparing them for the time in which he will leave. He will depart from their physical presence. They will witness him be murdered. And he's preparing them. I want to focus on verses 27 through 29. This account of Jesus is the night before his death. The night before he's to be executed. And it's interesting to to ponder at Christmas time, because aren't we supposed to talk about his birth? We're to talk about why he came. And he came for this very reason. 
He came for this very purpose. Here he is, in love, the night before he was to be wrongly accused. The night before he was to be mocked and beaten repeatedly. Tortured to disfigurement. Hung naked in shame on a criminal's cross. He sits here the day before, knowing all that will take place. More than just bodily what will take place to him, but the agony of the wrath of God on him that will take place tomorrow. All of this happening tomorrow. And he takes time, the day before, to sit with his disciples and comfort them. And comfort them. If you and I know that we're be executed tomorrow, we're likely going to be thinking about what's it going to feel like. What am I going to be thinking at that time? Will it be fast? Will it be? Uh, will it hurt? What? How? What will it hurt me? You know, and we will be so consumed with the fact of the details, we wouldn't spend time just focused on loving those around us as Jesus did here specifically. Sits here, takes time to provide words of comfort. Is this not the type of relationship that the world needs today? that you and I need today, whether or not you are one of the 40 million people that takes medication for anxiety or depression, people need a Savior like this. They need someone to come in because our hearts are such in turmoil all the time. This world fuels that, especially at Christmas we see anxiety and stress levels. You see people depressed and closed in. You wonder, how, how is that? What's, what's missing? What is uh, the help that could be there that is not there, perhaps? This is the message that we need. This is the kind of Savior we need. That when there is about to be a huge storm, He provides a rock to stand on. He's pointing to Himself and His relationship with the Father and His relationship with you. And He does it for three reasons. And I'll work backwards through them. One reason he says in verse 29, he says, I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does, um, so then when it does happen, you will believe. He's doing this for their faith. He's telling them these things. He's, He's bringing them this comfort. He's delivering them this hope so that their faith is not just, as some people assume we have faith, blind. It's not just stupidity. He's saying, I'm showing you these things. I'm telling you these things. I am being near to you now, providing this for you now, so that when whatever comes, you may have faith, that you may believe. The second thing he's saying this for, this reason, is found... Back up into verse 28. You've heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. It says, if you love me, you would be glad. You would be glad or you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father. He's doing it for our joy. Not just for faith and belief. He's not just telling these disciples here, here's what you need to intellectually know me. But more than that, he's saying, here's the relationship I'm developing for your joy. That you may have joy. That you may be glad. Because if your best friend, someone you love, someone who's been uh, nearest to you, but more than that, Jesus has been doing miracle after miracle in front of these men. 
And if he's about to depart, where's the joy? And, and he says, I'm, I'm doing these things and I'm telling you this so that you would be glad. They're probably thinking, what? Jesus, you have no clue. We're not going to be glad when you're gone. But he says, I'm preparing you. I'm preparing you for joy because it will come. And he tells them how it will come. If you back up to verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So peace. What is peace? Here, it is the absence of anxiety. It is a contentment. This is peace as contentment. They're restful. When Jesus says, come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Think about that for a moment. The word peace and all that's about to happen to Jesus in the next 24 hours. He says, peace is what I'm leaving with you. I'm giving you my peace. And then a mob comes, takes him away in chains. He says, peace. They wrongly accuse him before a court of men screaming and yelling. Peace. Interesting. He gets nailed to a cross and he says, peace, I leave with you. But it's not the peace in terms of a silence, like he said to the wind and the waves, peace be still. But it's that in the soul. So this is for your belief, for your joy, and for your peace, for your peace as contentment. You will be content. You will be at rest. I'm leaving it with you. But what is amazing about it is, we understand from Galatians 5, if you know the fruits of the Spirit, one of them is, can you guess it? Peace. The Holy Spirit gives us, produces in us, peace. And here in this context, Jesus is telling them about the Holy Spirit, who is going to come and be in them. So he says, you know, does not matter the circumstance, including what tomorrow holds. When I'm present, there is contentment. When I'm near, you can rest. Who is he? Who is he that he would bring such contentment and rest in the midst of turmoil and and crucifixion? It's God who's in control. He's in control. So that no matter what happens and what seems to be taking place in the world, you say, who's in control? It's God. And is he not good? And is he not faithful? And is he not perfect in all of his ways? And does Romans 8 not tell me that he's working all things, including turmoil and pain and disease? He's working all things for the good of those who love him? Is this not God who's in control of this very thing? When you begin to believe it, believe it, have faith in it, trust it, what do you have but peace? You get peace, you get contentment, you get to rest knowing that all that is going on is as it should be rest. You can rest. When, when nurses and doctors ask me, how are you doing? Mainly the social workers ask me at the hospital, how are you doing? I say, I'm at rest. And they say, how are things going? And I say, as they should be. 
When they're asking about Calvin, who's on a ventilator, who may die in this surgery, may die here, may die there, they say it all the time. Say, and how are things going? I say they're as they should be. I'm at rest knowing that God is in charge. And so Jesus here, preparing his disciples and you and I for turmoil and for what is to come, he says that peace comes through his presence. And here specifically, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit in believers. He says, that's why you're going to be glad. That's why you're going to rejoice when I go. Because he says, right now, for this season, I have limited myself to a single body in Jesus. He says, but when I leave, when I go, the Holy Spirit's going to come and indwell every single believer. And you don't just need me there at your side to feel peace. I'll always be with you. And you will have peace whether you're on the ship uh, of the Titanic or whether you are in Saudi Arabia, you can have my peace and I don't need to be beside you with flesh and bones. It's interesting to note what verse 27 teaches us about peace, though. It says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. That teaches us, number one, that peace is not an automatic right. People should not just assume on a contentment, on a rest, everyone in the world. It's not automatic. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. This sort of peace, this sort of contentment, this sort of rest is a gift. It's a gift from God, not an entitlement for all people who live here. It's amazing to think. That he could give a gift of peace, a gift of contentment. And you, and you understand that. When you look at, at, at 100 people, you could tell them about the love of Jesus. And maybe, maybe five of them would come and they would believe and they would, they would trust in Jesus. You told them all. You've offered them all the goodness of the gospel of Jesus. And, and five of them come. Who has peace? The five. It's so amazing that he has given five the peace, not the 95. Why is that? Why is that? It's so interesting to think about this idea of giving of a gift and rebellion, rejection, human responsibility. It is mind-boggling when you think of it. But when you understand that, that this peace comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit, you also know that that's not... An entitlement to every person. Your neighbor who rejects God, who hates God with his life, Scripture tells us that person does not have the Spirit of God within them. They don't understand the Scriptures because it's a spiritual thing. They don't have the Spirit. So they don't have, and they will not have, it's not an automatic right for them, this intense peace. Second thing we learn about peace from this verse, it says, I do not give, uh, yeah, I do not give to you as the world gives to you. So secondly, Peace is not polluted. It's not an automatic right, but it's also not polluted. He says, I give it to you, but not like the world tries to offer it to you. Not like every advertisement and everything that you're supposed to buy offers you peace. You're going to be so content once you finally have this. Right? The world offers you contentment all day long. But it's always limited in its reach. It's always limited in its amount The peace that always seems to be offered in this world is circumstantial. You'll have peace when you just get through your treatments. 
Right? You'll have peace when you just have enough money. You'll have peace when the season's over. You'll have peace when your kid grows up. Right? You're offered all of this circumstantial peace. You're peace that is this false illusion. And sometimes peace is offered in, in a sinful avenue. You know, you're, you're restless. Just drink and drink some more and drink some more and you won't feel it. Right? The world has peace to offer. But it's so temporary, it's so limited. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's polluted. But Jesus says, the peace that I give you, I do not give you as the world gives it. The world offers you peace through certain things, through material things. But he says, that's not the way I give you peace. Don't expect my peace to come in, in, in healing. Don't expect that's what I mean by when I, I say I'm going to give you peace, my peace I leave to you that I'm always going to heal your sicknesses. That's not what I'm going to offer you here. Because there is a circumstantial peace. But what happens when you get sick and die again? Is your peace gone? That's why Jesus says, my peace is something so different. It's not of this world. And therefore, it's not easily understood. The peace that he is giving us. His peace that he's going to give us. The third thing this teaches us about peace is peace is not the absence of problems. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It's a response to problems. It's not an absence of problems. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Well, he would not need to say that if there was nothing to be troubled about. If all was smooth sailing and everything was perfect, it would be redundant for Jesus to say, don't worry. You'd say, I'm not. There's nothing to worry about. So this peace that Jesus says he will give to you is not the absence of problems. He says, I'm not going to take them out of the world. Right? I'm not going to take these problems away. I'm not going to take temptations away. I'm not going to take stresses away. I'm not going to take family issues away or financial issues away or health issues away. No, he says, in the midst of them, what does he t- It's so telling. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. The heart can respond in multiple ways. It can either be troubled, as he's telling it not to be, so stir up and, and be anxious and worry and try to conjure up some escape route. Or, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid when when things come your way. And remember the context in which he's saying this. Tomorrow he's to be executed. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. So even there, those words, you can hear them echoing in the heart of Christ as he carries the cross. Right? He, He lived this. This command he gave to his disciples, he was living on the very next day. Don't let your hearts be troubled. There he was, incarnating this, showing us what this looks like. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. He tells us why and how that's, that's possible. He says it in verse 30. He says, I will not speak much longer, for the prince of this world is coming, that is the devil, says, he has no hold on me. 
he understands, obviously, his power. And the power of the enemy. And so, he recognizes that he is more powerful than anything that could come against him. Satan has no hold on me, he says. Therefore, I won't be crippled. I won't be afraid. Because I, I know who, who's in control, who, who, who's in power here. It's not him. He's just the prince of the world. He's been given the world for a time. But he's on a chain. He says, he, he has no hold on me, and he's got no hold on you. It's amazing that this is where he's beginning to give them foundation for their belief, foundation for their peace. And he says, you think about all the enemy's opposition against you. He says, when I'm with you, he's got no hold on me. And if I'm in you, and I'm the Lord of your life, and I'm leading you, and I'm guiding you, and I'm empowering you, he's got no hold on you either. Do not be afraid. Do not be troubled. When, when things look grim, trust. Trust. Lean upon all that I'm giving you, my peace. That's why in Philippians 4, a well-known verse, well-known passage, we have this command. Rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wow. That is the parallel to this passage in John 14 that we see. It's a command. Do not be anxious. Whoa. That is, seems like a hard task. If we think, well, that's my job now. And I have to do what I have to do to not be anxious. Well, no, you see, this peace of God that surpasses all understanding, it's got to guard your hearts. It's the one that has to guard your hearts. Well, how has that come? I love what Jesus is implying here as he tells his disciples that Satan has no hold on him. He goes on in verse 31. He says, the world must learn that I love the Father. And I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. I love the Father. And I do what he's commanded me. And he tells us in this, in this whole section here, if you love me repeatedly, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your heart. Don't let that heart be troubled, because then you won't be loving God as you ought. So how do you guard yourself against that? Well, the peace of God guards your heart against that. And this is the love of God, 1 John 5, 3 says. This is your love for God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. So when the Bible tells us to trust in the Lord, and lean not on our understanding, When the Bible tells us, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. The Bible tells us, do not be anxious. The Bible tells us, be holy, be patient, believe the gospel. Those commands of the Bible are not burdensome. When Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke, 
that, that's a load. It's light. It's light. But he says it's not burdensome. How is it so? All of the anxieties that in your heart, in my heart, and in every single person's heart comes back to, well, what's causing this anxiety? What really makes us stressed out? Yes, for some of you and some uh, people in this room, there is more chemical things going on in your brain that make you a more anxious person. So sometimes medication helps that. But what is at the root of every anxiety? Really, the Bible tells us, and it's a painful truth, when we're anxious, at the root of it is discontentment and distrust. It's hard, but it's true. We're not trusting, therefore we're anxious. Because if we perfectly trusted God's sovereign plan, we'd never need to be anxious. We'd never need to have to sit down and take a chill with a coffee because we're too stressed out or we're over-anxious. But why is it that we don't trust God? Is there something wrong with me? Am I broken because I, I'm anxious? You're human. And you, you still have sin nature in you that is tempted to not trust God. and So it's hard. It's interesting because you think about the, the least thing, you know, going to the parking lot of Walmart and you're anxious about where you're going to park. Why are you why are you anxious? Don't you believe God wanted you to park at the back of the parking lot? Or, or that if you couldn't find a parking spot at all, that don't you believe God didn't want you at the mall altogether? Like, don't you just believe God is providential, that he's working all things? From the least, least stupid thing like a parking spot to huge things like pain. Does, is God aware of your pain? Is he not aware that you're suffering? Well, of course he is. Do, do you trust him? Do you trust that he's still in control and that, that Satan has no hold on all that God is doing in your life? That God's in control? Do you trust that? And it's hard for you and I. That's why we're anxious and that's why the Bible repeatedly tells us. It's not just to one person in here because you take medication. It's to all of us. Every single person in this room has anxieties. Big ones, little ones. That's why scripture tells us repeatedly. Trust trusts. But understand, I love the passage in Philippians because it tells us how we're to, to kind of get more of this peace. How do we grasp this more so that we are less anxious, we're trusting in God better? Is it just another to-do list? I just have to sit down and, and, and kind of lock myself in a room so I might trust God better because the circumstance is not getting any better outside this room. What do you do? Well, it says in Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Here's the key. But in everything, by prayer. By prayer. And supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And flowing from that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. So there you have some keys the main key is prayer. In that is supplication, so praying for the needs of others mainly, and thanksgiving. Whatever you're anxious about, are you thankful? Have you ever stopped to be thankful for what you're anxious for? 
the thing that's causing you stress and anxiety, have you taken time to go, what can I thank God for in this circumstance? Most of us haven't. We are so busy asking God to remove it, we don't thank Him for it. Or try to find something to be thankful for in it. We don't. And so therefore, our hearts are more troubled. Here it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, 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 by prayer. Pray. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. Prayer. It's not like, oh, here's my medication, here's my prayer life. Well, I better ditch my meds and only pray, and I'm obviously not spiritual enough. Or vice versa. Well, I'm not a good prayer, so I'll just take more medication. It's not what's going on here. What's going on here is two different things, chemical and spiritual. And we're talking spiritual here this morning because God, through Jesus, is preparing his disciples for all that may come. He's speaking to the heart of the matter. That's the soul, your hearts. Let them not be troubled. And he says, by prayer. And so, what do we pray for? If we're to be thankful in the circumstance, if we're to be content in all things, if we're to trust that he's working all things for the good of those who love him, what do we pray for? Do we pray for him to remove it? You can. There's circumstances that we say, God, remove this if you will. But if you will is important. That's why the Apostle Paul is one of the greatest examples. Right? He's the thorn in the flesh. He prayed to God. God said, no. And then he said, I'm content. I'm content in my suffering. It's amazing. Amazing example, but Paul prayed, God remove it, remove it, remove it. And when God said no, he trusted. Okay, I believe you're in charge. Your grace is enough for me. And so, Scripture helps us as to what we're to pray for, how we're to fix our our minds and our hearts so that they don't get troubled by things that may make us anxious, that may draw our trust from God and, and to ourselves, maybe. Romans 8, verse 6 says, set your, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because we know that the fruit of the Spirit is, one of them is peace. Are you aware of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you aware of His presence? Interesting, at Christmas time, we think of the presence of Jesus incarnate. But maybe, because we so focus on the man in the flesh, we forget and we don't focus on his presence with us now. Do you really believe he's present with you? Do you really believe he resides in your heart? Oftentimes, I, I don't think we do. I think we think we're lone rangers until we cry out to God and he does something else in the world out there, and then things hopefully get better. What do you think about the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you aware of his presence? Are you submitting to his leadership? And you know what's beautiful about the Holy Spirit? Jesus says he's going to come and teach you and lead you in the truth. He's going to bring you to the word of God, bring the word of God to bear on your life so that you may continually, in a deeper and more satisfying way, trust in God's sovereignty. You would trust that God is in control. We can say that with our lips a hundred times, but it's only the Holy Spirit that can actually make it real. So it's not about you doing things. It's not another burden to put on an anxious person. 
it is a joy to go, the Holy Spirit is in charge of this. The Holy Spirit's in you. Are, you. are you listening? Are you praying? Are you communing with Him? Are you taking time to submit yourself to Him and His Word? Because He's going to teach you. He's going to show you the beautiful love and kindness of God, your Savior. He's going to show you the, the depth of His uh, reality in your life. Are you submitting to the Holy Spirit in your life? It's He who brings peace. He produces peace in your life. It's not another thing for you to be anxious for. It's where you can rest. It's like laying back on a couch that you trusted. You sit back and fall on it when you need to rest. Well, God is not like a couch. Because a couch is only one location, only at one time, and a spring might poke out and get you. Or a pencil, in my case, when I was a kid. It was bad. But the Holy Spirit is not like that. He's not in in a singular location. And that's what's beautiful about what Jesus is telling his disciples as he, in his flesh, is about to depart. Because he knows that you and I are likely going to do this very thing. We're going to focus on his flesh. If Jesus was just here, if I could just see him, imagine. And oftentimes, you know, you might tell your kids this, like, well, if Jesus was in the car with you, well, you're on a date. You better behave that way, you know, if Jesus is in the back seat. You know, if Jesus is there with you, how are you going to behave differently? Well, Jesus is there. And it's not having to imagine him in the flesh, in the seat, or at the table, or, or when you're watching a movie. He, he's there. Do, do you believe it? And so Jesus is preparing his disciples. How do you have peace in a world that's going to get worse? How do you have rest when there is so many things that could make you anxious? Is lean on me. Understand who the Holy Spirit is and how you can have joy. He says, be glad when I go. Be glad because the Spirit will come. And so it's interesting because most of Paul's letters in the, in the New Testament, he starts and he ends with a greeting, wishing the people the peace of God. He says, peace to you and grace. Peace to you and grace. Well, how, how does that come? Peace comes through knowing God through resting in his character. And that's why it's interesting, you know, unfortunately today, most Christians are lazy when it comes to studying the Bible. They're so lazy. 500 years ago they weren't lazy. 100 years ago they weren't lazy. You could ask somebody 100 years ago what transubstantiation was and they knew. You could ask somebody what, uh, the, how the Trinity uh, is understood in the Scripture and they would, they'd be able to tell you pretty good. People today, they don't bother studying God's word. They just want feel-good verses that are good enough for a coffee cup and leave it there. They don't want to know God. They don't want to know about his omnipresence or his omniscience. They don't want to know. They don't want to know that he is all-powerful and and to be able to understand it from the God's word, not just, yes, I know he's all-powerful. Have you seen it? We don't know. We're lazy. And because of that, I think... We have a hard time with this. And we think this is just another thing to do on the list. All right, trust God better tomorrow. I get it, I get it. No, no. It's not about an intellectual exercise or something you need to add to your to-do list. It's a submission of your heart. It's a resting in Him. It's a coming. And having the peace of God surpass all understanding in your life. Because, as Jesus says, this is the peace that He gives that is not like the world. It's the peace that He leaves with you. It's His peace. 
So I will end with a benediction from 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, May the God of peace sanctify you. May he make you more holy. This is not an exercise of the, your will and like you can just give ten more dollars or something. He needs to sanctify you. He needs to renovate your heart. He needs to renovate my heart. He needs to make us understand himself better. He sanctifies us through the word. The word is truth. And so may we understand that we can submit ourselves to God today. It doesn't mean your anxiety is going to disappear tomorrow. We, we never expect that of another person. And so the, the beauty of this text and Jesus delivering this is he recognizes anxious people. And he doesn't just say, get over it. Stand back up. Look smart. Pretend like it's not there. He doesn't. He prepares them. And so this text encourages us then also to be gracious to those who struggle with anxieties, with circumstances that may not leave. And even if they don't leave, we need to encourage them. Trust, hope in God. Hope in God. And let the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, the peace of, of God that surpasses all understanding, be in your life. And how are we going to do that? Well, let's pray together. Let's just, let's just be thankful for something in this circumstance which is causing you so much anxiety. I'm going to pray with you. We're going to find something to give thanks for. That's what we ought to do. Learning from the example of Jesus who's comforting his disciples before a huge trial in their lives. He's comforting you and me and preparing us for trials in our lives so that we may comfort others in trials in their lives. You look around and there's so many anxious people especially at this season with the hustle and the bustle. Pray. Pray that you would, yes, in this hustle and bustle, you would be able to have a deeper rest and trust in God. You would know him more intimately this season, not just as a baby in a manger scene, but as the eternal God who came to show his steadfast love and kindness, to die for sinners, and to be raised victorious. Trust in him. And call others to trust in him too. Let's pray.